Hello everyone and welcome back to the newsroom. Today we have three special guests from previous podcasts, Jordan, George, and Jose. So um, we're going to talk today um, mainly about young boys and how they're pre-labeled and what that means for them later on in life. So um, if any of you would like to start, I guess I'll pick George because you work with young boys. How do you, um, have you experienced personally or through like your job um, situations where young males are pre-labeled or called bad when really they just might be um, hyper? I mean, it's true. Black students experience more suspensions, expulsions, disciplinary actions, like, than a white student, even for, like, the same exact behavior. I actually, um, I went to, like, a forum last week, and this guy, he was, he, he was a former superintendent or whatever, he said they were in a meeting, and this, this white guy had like a weed charge in school and it was like a repeat offender or whatever but he got community service mm. and then but this white guy had like enough for distribution at that the black guy same thing you know they're in front of the board talking about what they're going to do to him they're talking about charging him or whatever and giving him like a week in jail or some shit what? and he only had he only had like enough to use and then he was a first-time offender. So people, like, naturally, because of, like, the labels and stuff, the same behavior is going to be interpreted depending on the race of the child. And it's, it's kind of messed up. Yeah. So, um, and this, this question's open to anyone. Has um, any of you ever personally experienced being pre-labeled as a child? Yeah. Okay, um, how about Jose, you go first, because I heard you first, and then Jordan, you go. Well, no, I mean, like, I was about to say, like, what well, George was saying, I mean, facts. I mean, we, we know, I mean, even going into adulthood and the criminal justice system and all of that, you know, if a white guy tells weed, it's like, oh, he's selling pot, you know what I'm saying? Um, and the other, any other majorities, I mean, minorities are selling um, weed, it's like, oh, he's a drug dealer. It goes back to our adolescent ages, you know, when you think about what we was in the classroom and think about little Timmy. Little Timmy was outspoken to, you know, aggressive, he was threatening kids. He might have threatened her to shoot up his food and it was like, little, little Timmy needs to go see the, the guidance counselor. But little Timmy comes from a very well put together home. Both parents in the home, lives in a nice neighborhood and everything. But you put one of us in that situation, you know, in our upbringings and the, the situations we came up in, we actually going through something, and if we, we lash out or we speak out, it's automatic suspension. It's like, you're out of here. Nobody has ever stopped to ask, like, you know, what is going on with George? What is going on with Jordan? What is going on with Jay? What is going on? You know, with, with these children, it is an automatic, like, suspension. Taking them, taking them out of the school system, it's just as bad as throwing them out on the street because that's what you're doing. You know, you just suspend somebody because you're pre-labeled them as, as, oh, he's going to be a problem child. And children are not dumb. 
they did it was the only time they hear it, you know what I'm saying? The, the principals and the teachers came right in front of the kids. Mm. Like, oh, he's a bad kid. You know, I remember when I was in it, when I was a kid, I was, you know, I was kind of bad, you know, as far as I was concerned, you know what I'm saying? As far as how I was illegal, like, oh, he's, you know, he's bad. I don't see you around some classroom in the classroom. And like, I heard that. I heard when the teachers would be like, oh, good luck with him. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So, like, that, that pre that pre label that carries on into adulthood. And it's easy to keep that in your mind as you're going older, as you're going older. Not everybody has the mindset to break out of that label. Some people just feel like, I'm not sitting, I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life. Some people do have the strength and the courage and the wisdom to kind of step out that box and be like, no, I'm going to prove wrong. But not everybody does. So how come we get a different treatment than Timmy did? How come Timmy got the counseling we needed and all of that, but we got suspended out of school? We got sent for detention. We got sent for his school suspension. We got yelled at. We got put in the corner and embarrassed. Mm. So, Jordan, what were you about to say? Well, yeah, so most definitely, um, especially, like, I want to say elementary school years, I was definitely pre-labeled um, as far as, like, what, going from different, like, age, like, from going from grade to grade. Uh, if I gave my teacher a hard time in third grade, my fourth grade teacher heard about it, and when I first walked in the class, like, I'm going to have a desk off to the side, away from everybody. It's not going to be, like, I get to interact with the whole group. It's like, I already got that stigma or that aura around me that, like, yo, this is a bad kid and he's not going to cooperate. He's not going to do what you, what you tell him to do. And over time, it's really, a lot of behaviors with children are either, like, cries of help or they are altered due to the relationship that you build with them. Because hmm. um, I knew, I know growing up, when I had teachers that I actually enjoyed being in their class, I didn't cause them no issues. Like, you know what I'm saying? I didn't, I didn't get them a hard time. I wasn't up walking around or constantly like disrupting class or making noise or drawing attention to myself. Or And then, you know, on top of that, classes that actually challenged me. A lot of times, we... We drug up our kids because they aren't challenged enough and they're not mentally stimulated enough. So it's like, now he's bad because, one, he doesn't want to sit down in his seat, but his work's done. Mm-hmm. So his work's done, so now he, he got idle time, and you haven't feel anything to do with his idle time. So now his mind wants racing 100 miles an hour because what he initially was focused on for maybe like 10 to 15 minutes that maybe could help other kids for 20 to 25 minutes, now he got 10 minutes of leisure time to try to figure out what is he going to do with his brain. And often, that's literally like, all right, I'm just going to talk to the people that surround him. And then if that's becoming an issue, all right, I'm going to try to find something else. But now it's like, all right, I can't get up out of my seat. Maybe say, let me go, get, go to the bathroom or get some water. And then when I get in the hallway, I'm going to wander around in the hallway for about three or four or five minutes so I can waste some time. And then now they got in trouble in the hallway because I've been out here too long. So it's like, we don't, honestly, we don't keep idle minds from being idle that long in school, in school systems, and I see it on a regular basis, and, or like after school programs, or different things like that, because when you think about it, that same kid that you claim is bad in your class, if you took them in a sport and they had practice, that kid probably not going to give you too many, too many, too many problems, except for probably when you're trying to like, 
break down and like slow down plays so they can run like you see the line of plays and things like that mm-hmm. but like in the process of like drills and like actually going through the the work and that child's involved then that nine is idle because he's focused on something he's not causing a disruption because now he's focused and he has something to grab his attention and hold him there so it's not so a lot of times when we pre-love pre-label kids or we pre-judge kids and then we start giving them like now they don't have all because they got or they considered that or written or because they ADHD or things like that and a lot of black parents because they I mean honestly because they don't have the economic opportunities to like stay at home and like really like raise their kids because they're working and things like that out there like environmental factors playing the role and things like that that it's easy to say yeah get this, this little crazy motherfucker this kid because he's running around jumping off the wall at the house and he can't sit down at school because what whole time is really a gene and you didn't have the time to properly raise your child to understand like yeah when you go into certain cases and things like that this is how you supposed to conduct yourself mm-hmm. and when you're not conducting yourself like that then you're going to be disciplined when you get home and things like that or you can be disciplined on the spot but honestly a lot of parents are waking up getting these kids ready for school either an older sibling is taking them to the bus or they're a lot or they got enough time that they can take them to the bus and they have to take them to the bus and then throughout that day like they they at home like they at work so they're working and then when the kids get home from school if they got an older sibling they with the older sibling so the older sibling watching them and you if you ever been an older sibling to a uh, uh, you know what I'm saying, to a, a young child, and you know, you're not really paying too much attention to them until you really need to. Mm-hmm. So, so what what that is is like, you know, a lot of things come from what did, what's instilled from them at home, what parents have the time for, and when you don't have the time to probably like really raise your kid, and you feel like the kid doing a whole lot, like your other kids wasn't just active and things like that, and you got this one kid, so now you certain, now you are certain that something's really wrong with them because you had three other mild-tempered kids who are calm and can function on their own and can listen to direction the first time, and then you got the one kid who's been ran a month throughout class and at home is to the point where you just, you figure, you really feel like you don't know what to do with them, so you're going to give them this medicine that the doctor recommended. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to calm them down, and now... Not only did you may have started a drug addiction or opening like using that that could be considered as a gateway drug to you know see so now they become dependent on this drug and like a lot of the students are able to even tell you like yo I ain't taking my medicine anymore <laughs> so I'm gonna be off the chain but realistically mm-hmm. like if you ain't either come up with that thought in your head that like yo I ain't take my medicine I know I'm be off the chain and you able to talk to yourself and tell you like yo I need to chill that's true so, so um what yeah, oh go ahead go ahead can I answer that question yeah go ahead um I've been I'm, I've been stereotyped a lot growing up and I won't even like no like dog ass kid and I ain't got any Inspired to be a gangster and no shit like that, but like, just like simple shit. Like, like I was in the basketball league when I was young, and being the dude was wrestling. It was like a predominantly white basketball league, though. Me and the boy was wrestling. I probably like one or two black, one of the two black people on the floor wrestling for the ball or whatever. 
that kind of pushed him off me. And then, you know, all the white fans were like, oh, my God, like, look what he did, try to stop the game. Like, I done been suspended for shit I ain't do from school. Me and the homies got the basketball court taken away. Like, just by a random adult who just was tired of us playing basketball. Wow. Like, just little shit like that. Like, cops just pulling up on you just because, you know, your nigga standing outside talking because all 10, 15 of y'all not about to be in nobody's house. Like, I mean, you outside cooling, they selling drugs, and the police just pull up on us. Like, oh, we got a call. They got to look suspicious. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't live around this bitch. Like, there's little shit like that that you just got to dip. Like, other people really don't got to deal with, but it's, like, regular. Like, it's sad, but we know how to, like, maneuver through those situations. But at this point, like, you get conditioned to that shit. So, um... So, how... Can you, like... Um, okay, well, one thing at a time. So, the first thing I wanted to hit on is, um, Jordan, you made... You said that, um, sometimes the teachers would isolate you you know, and like put you, make you sit by yourself. So how do you guys think isolation, quote unquote, like helps? Because it doesn't seem like, you know, separating a quote unquote problem child from the group in the grand scheme of things, like I guess the backstory is, it's um that whole, um it may not be good for the goose, but it's good for the gander. So like the rest of the class I guess can learn however it definitely makes that other child feel devalued so um what are your guys's thoughts on the idea of isolating children that may be overactive um it's just uh the thing you learn in life it's rough on like working with kids and stuff. It's called um, Maxwell's hierarchy of needs, which is basically what the essential needs, like bare minimum, what a child needs to like you know function properly and shit like that. And um, one of them is love and a sense of belonging. So isolating a child. Isolating an adult or a child is honestly torture. Because that's what essentially the sense of belonging is like a century need for any human being to have. So putting a, a adult in isolation in jail for twenty three hours a day, like there's no way they're not going to be crazy. Putting a child in isolation to just leave him with his thoughts at that age is gonna hurt him. At the end of the day, he's not about to, he's not thinking about what he can do better. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. So, I I mean, I'm on both sides of this one, um, and it's kind of hard because you know when you're dealing with a child who's continuously giving you issues, but you got 25 of the children that need your attention, who need your help. You know, only person in the room kind of. In the moment, separating them seems like the best idea because it's like, yo, I just need you to come over here, sit down, get yourself together, and allow me to help everybody else 
in the moment because they are able to listen to group instruction and right now they're not. So I just need you to come over and step over to the side so I get a minute to actually come back and talk to you so we can get to a point of understanding. And what that, that conversation is really the key part in it. And that's why I'm able that's why I'm able to stand on both sides of the fence because that that small conversation and informing them like, yo, this is why I'm putting you over here and it's not because like I'm so upset with you that I just need you to get out of my face. It's really just I just can't seem to handle you with the rest of these members of with the rest of the kids or the rest of the members of the group that we have. Mm-hmm. I really just need you to come over here and step inside and get yourself together or relax for a little bit so I can come back and we can have a sense a conversation that we can have some understanding of what I need you to do and what's not okay. And that's really what separates you just isolating a kid and then isolating kids with a purpose. So isolation with a purpose is beneficial. Isolation is not. So if you just put somebody off to the side and just tell them like, yo, just get out of my face, I don't even want to talk to you right now to move, then that can be detrimental because it's like, all right, you can you send me away from my friends, you the adult in the room who nine times out of ten I really want to like me. Because mm-hmm. kids seek out their acceptance from everybody, and especially adults, not even just their peers. They have to be accepted by adults and their peers because it's like, all right, this person can really make things happen for me. Somebody my age, we really just don't even get along, but we're not. But they have to be accepted by adults and their peers, and that's something that I started to know. Um, but when you have like negated that relationship, or you've made that damage that relationship or maybe seem like you don't want to establish that relationship with a child, then they are instantly like in a set of like, all right, well, this person won't like me and every time she says something to me, it's going to make me upset because I feel like this person don't like me. Mm-hmm. And literally the, that, that small step of that conversation, having that conversation of when, when you do decide to isolate them is so valuable and a lot of places miss that. Um, because sometimes you just get so caught up in your work, and I'm not saying like I'm perfect, but I've I've had my fair chance chances to like sit down and like rekindle a relationship with a child. But like, if I got a hundred things to, things to do, and I set you to the side because you were doing so much, well, I still got the rest of these things that I got to do, and I just need you to sit there so I can come back. And sometimes you don't get presented with the opportunity to come back. Sometimes kids leave before you get a chance to talk to them. Or, um, or you just really get so caught up in your day that you, you forget to even have that conversation. Sometimes you just go ahead and just bring them back into the group and like, yo, just come on back because you don't even have an end you yourself. So it's hard to say is isolation beneficial? Not beneficial. So like I said, isolation for what the purpose is, isolation for the hell of it is not. Okay. Um, Jose, do you have an opinion on isolation? Yeah, um, man, I would say, like, I feel like everything coming up from our, our youth has always been, like, a part of, I feel like we've always been institutionalized, whether we, we know it or not. Um, isolation is, is kind of crazy because, like, kind of put in the investment when you think about a baby. He needs a baby cries 
right? An infant. We're talking about fresh born babies. The baby cries as soon as they meet them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they cry because they need their diaper change. They cry because they're hungry. They cry because they need attention. And when you think about children, kids, you know what I'm saying? They use when they act out in school, they act out is a cry for attention. And I, I think it, it goes unseen a lot. And this is why I kind of favor like co teaching and working places, like where there's always two teachers in the classroom. Um, because like what Jordan said is, is correct. I mean, you got to look at it from both sides. Like if you're in the classroom full of, you know, kids that are craving attention, you can't cater to everybody. And at the same time, if one is the, the worst one kind of spoiling the bunch, sometimes you do have to separate them. But think also, what does that do for that kid? Is that actually helping the situation? You separated that, that child, but did you actually help the situation? We're going to stop him from doing it again if he's actually looking for attention, if it's a class to help. Like, our kids, you know, they, they go to school, they're labeled as bad, all of this, they get isolated to the corner, told to stand out in the hallway, right? You get isolated, no attention at all. Nobody's asking them, they're like, yo, what's wrong with you? In a cold teacher workspace, you know, maybe the second teacher can step out in the hallway and, and speak to that child, try to figure out what's going on. And if there's one teacher, you can't really speak to that child because you have a whole classroom you got to look after. But now let's think about when that child goes home. When that child goes home, what's wrong with our generation is, you know, uh, a lot of people are expecting the schools to raise their kids which I mean is a big mistake anyway, because the information they're giving these children is the same, you know what I'm saying? But a lot of people are expecting schools to raise their kids. So these kids, you know, leave school and go home. You know, leave school from where they were completely ignored, they were isolated, they were labeled, they go home to a tired, let's say they have a single mother, a single father at home, who's been working all day, you know, not day tired. So they're tired, they go to the bedroom, you know what I'm saying? They're, the, the, the parent is, is they don't want to deal with the kids, you know what I'm saying? So now the kid goes in the bedroom and they want attention from their parent. And what does the parent say? Like, you know, get the hell out of here, go to your room, go to living, go do your homework, get out of here, you know what I'm saying? Essentially isolating them again and not giving them the attention that they need. So this is this is this is the constant pattern that keeps on happening. Go to school, you're not getting attention, you're going home, you're not getting attention. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a constant thing. That's what I'm saying. It's like it's, a, it's an institutionalized mindset that they're, 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 they're getting. And we, we live in a social media age, right? And we wonder, like, even our generation, like our direct generation, you yeah. know, the me, the you, the children, the children, our direct yeah, generation, we kind of, like, we'll get on social media sometimes and we wonder why some people are doing what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're, just, they're doing a lot for social media. Like, yeah, some people do a lot for social media, but they're doing a lot for social media. And we're kind of looking like, yo, why are you doing this for the world right now? And, it's, you know, the generation we live in is because people can't get this attention at school, because people can't get, get, can't get this attention at home, they're running the social media and they're getting that attention that they want. Whether it's negative or positive, it's driving you towards the general because people finally notice them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Whether it's, it's that 11-year-old girl who's twerking on Instagram because she saw her sister and her friends twerking on Instagram. She's twerking on Instagram because she wants attention. Whether it's that, that boy, you know what I'm saying, 10-year-old, 9-year-old boy who's going with a gang sign on Instagram because he sees all the rappers. Like, that, he, he doesn't want to be in the gang. He's doing it for attention. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because it's a cry for attention. So when you can't get attention from school, you can't get attention from home, you went to, you know, whatever kind of attention you can get. And what happens is by the time some people get the attention they need, it's too late. We realize it's too late. Um, and and to some communities, is is better than others, you know what I'm saying? Because, again, I mean, Caucasian kids have it good. You know, they're, they're, the minute they see something going on, you know, teachers automatically are calling the parents and it's like, hey, Cindy, you know what I'm saying? Well, Johnny was acting crazy in school. I think he should see a psychiatrist, you know? But, you know what I'm saying? Somebody else gets in trouble from a different community. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm going to call you, I'm going to call your mother. And it's like, listen, I don't know what's going on with your son, but he's acting out. He's really bad. He needs to discipline him. You know what I'm saying? That's, and that's just a constant state of mind. Like, our kids are seeing this from young. Like, when he wondered, like, yo, I remember when I was growing up, there was a certain cold, like, you wouldn't really see kids with guns or kids getting shot, stuff like that. But now it's happening, and it's 11-year-olds and 10-year-olds killing each other. That's true. They need to street because they're not, they're not getting the attention they need. And it's becoming, it's so crazy because it's becoming so acceptable in society. Not acceptable like, oh, it's cool that it's happening. It's happening so much that, you know, it's like, oh, it's just another 10-year-old black boy that got shot. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. A 10-year-old, like, yo, I think about when I was 10 years old, like, yo, I was seeing Transformers. I wasn't in no trouble like that, you know what I'm saying? Like, man, I might have been in trouble from, you know, things that's not that big of a deal, the guns and stuff like that. Like, nah, I was, you know, playing Transformers, uh, trading Pokemon cards and stuff like that. Well, our kids are 10 right now, they're toting guns, they're doing up game time. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my, my homeboy's little brother, like, swear he a blood. And he's 12 years old. Like, who brought you home? How you a bloody? You 12 years old. Come on now. And it's because they see that and then it's becoming acceptable. And I, I think that's the crazy part when it comes to, you know what I'm saying, isolating the kids. It leads to all this other stuff because you're institutionalizing our kids at a young age. This is becoming normal for them. So when they do grow up and they do go to jail, let's throw somebody in the hole. I've been isolated my whole life. Let's throw them in the hole. I've been isolated my whole entire life. Let's be in the jail cell. If every time I came home, I was put in the room, you know what I'm saying? Or mm-hmm. any time I went to school, they threw me in detention or isolated me from everybody else. That's the problem with isolation. We're, we're, we're really institutionalizing our kids at a young age instead of giving them the attention and figuring out what's going on with them and actually addressing the issue. Mic drop, Jose. So, um, in your guys' opinion, how much of it is the teacher's responsibility to... Um, you know, like make sure that these kids are receiving attention and how much of it falls back on the home. Because like we said, with um, 26 kids and one adult, it's so hard for that teacher to uh, make sure that all the kids are paying attention, you know, and manage the class, especially in like different areas. So how much of it do you think is the responsibility of the teachers and how much of it is the responsibility of the parents to raise a, um, uh, I don't know what the heck it's called, you know, like the something member of society, yeah. whatever they yeah, are. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, you know, go ahead, go ahead, Jason. Yeah. Right, um, I'm a firm believer in um, it takes a village. To, uh, you know, raise a child, but like, like going back to um, a lot of people 
going back to the like harms you need, a lot of people don't really know what kids need. And like Jordan was saying earlier, like how he pulled a child aside and you know, basically tell him about itself. That's that's one of the needs, self actualization. Which is like the desire to become the most one can be. So that's him like putting the child perspective in his own hands and basically letting them know like hey this is what you look like to other people like everybody else you gotta give the game plan with everybody else you gotta go back into that environment and basically like that and what uh jose was um speaking on about uh how the child be wild and on um, social media and all that stuff another need would be esteem so that's respect self-esteem status, recognition, strength, freedom. Like, if you're not providing a child for that, you want to get it some way or another because they need that shit. So if you're not giving them all these needs, they're going to go out, they're going to get it. And that's that's really what drives social media and all this stuff. Because people are, are they thinking they're getting what they need. Whether it's the sense of belonging, and self-esteem, actualization, psychological needs, like, they think they get it from social media, even though it can be taken away in a second. So, um, a lot of people are missing out on the needs or don't think, or, you know, teachers might, you know, assume that the child coming into the school got everything he needs at home. They don't take, take the time to assess what he don't and do have. So, you know, they kind of um, miss that. And, you know, you're not going, you got 90 or to 120 students. You're not really about to assess every student. Like, it's hard to, like, really understand um, each student and, you know, build rapport with them. So I understand. But um, it takes a really inside and outside of home. Um, definitely, I think it's more important. It definitely starts at home, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Definitely, I agree with George. Um, I'm a firm, I'm a believer that if there's a village, because I had a village, um, my mom and dad were always able to like just watch after me due to being able to take care of us and provide things that we needed. So I needed other uh, resources like the Boys and Girls Club and after school sports and coaches and cousins um, and aunts and uncles, you know what I'm saying, who are just volunteer that time to like make sure that I was straight and that, that was great but majority of the lessons that I learned definitely came from home um, and so definitely a firm believer in the case of village but it's, it must start with home because even if if I send my kid to school every day and he got they got math that they gotta do and like I said, it's 25 other kids in the class. You got one teacher. It's kind of hard to ensure that all 25 kids have this down to a proficient level to make sure that they, when they move on to the next step in their life, that they not even been passed along because that's the type of system that we have that the no child left behind. But when we move them along, that we actually move them along and we ensure that they have to use the capacity they have are able to use these um, skills and things that they were supposed to be taught. But 
getting back, like I said, with it, because they got math homework, and they didn't pick up the concept at school. When you were at home, you don't, you just gonna be like, yeah, well, the kid got it, because, you know what I'm saying, he learned it in school. You're supposed to go help your child with their homework, because they got things that they may have not picked up from their teacher, that they may pick up faster for me just because of the relationship they shall have. Even if it's not even like school, it can just be behaviors and things like that. Like those are things that you learn at home. Like you learn how to, put, you learn how to share at home. You learn how to to care about somebody else at home. You learn how to be considerate of others. You learn how to be respectful of others. You learn all these great just social skills from dealing with people in your house. So then when you leave out of your home, you're able to put forth those same skills into the world and show people that. You actually have some type of home training or home upbringing. And you can tell when a child isn't getting that attention at home because they lack civil social skills, like simple social skills of being able to share, being able to support themselves without becoming overly upset or to the point that they, every time something happens, they have to be a fight or they got to cry or they got to break down and get things like that. So, like emotional management, that all those skills, those are things that you get taught at home. So. Don't get me wrong, like I learned a lot of things from my teachers, but the reason why those things stuck is because I had people at home who were ensuring that those things were gonna stick around in my brain. And whether it was my my parents, it was my siblings, it was my my cousins, my coaches, things like that. That was my village, but it all started at home. So I was able to go out and those people were willing to be a part of my village because if you got a kid for real for real like and that's me coming from used to being used to working at the boys and girls club like when you got a kid who literally just doesn't want to even buy in or like can't even like conduct themselves well enough long enough for you to even want to be a part of their village to help them grow because some kids, you just not like you. You just not gonna click with them. Like other people don't click with them, and they don't build relationships with them. And there's gonna be some kids that you just can't build a relationship with because it's just like you just won't click. It's like either something with him doesn't like him or her doesn't like something with you, or you just can't get past a certain type of behavior that the, the child continues to do and. Grind your beard and rub it on our way, and then now y'all have a situation or altercation where, or exchange of words where now the student or the child doesn't feel comfortable with you anymore. And to the or it can be pointed to the point where you've been pushed to the point where it's like, yo, anything that happened with that kid, you better know what to get it, put them home. I don't even care. Because you did not push to your point where you don't even want that kid to be a party. You don't want to be a party of that kid. Just help them be better because they don't want you a part of all you're doing something to the point that you can't even coexist with them. So you gotta have you gotta have a certain level of home training even for people who even want to be a part of your village. So it definitely all starts at home. Mm-hmm. Jose, um do you have anything to say on like this, like the home and the school, like who's responsible for the child? Um, just going back to the basics, you know, one of the people from short is really on the, they on the very paper village, you know, and we heard that whole life, the paper village, 
So, I mean, we're not really the teachers, we're not really on the people the book, you know what I'm saying? It might be an unpopular opinion, but I don't think it's the teacher's job to raise your kids, you know what I'm saying? It's the teacher's job to teach your kids. And if your kids are being raised correctly when they go to school, you can focus a lot better because you only got all these badass kids that we were just talking, right? So, maybe it's being badass kids, but, you know what I'm saying? If we're raised right, and, you know what I'm saying? We're giving attention and all of that, you know that problem wouldn't be really going on. So I don't necessarily say I feel like it's a teacher's job, but it does take a village, you know what I'm saying? If you're a single mother, take a village. And it's okay for like, you know, we're all prideful and everybody feels like they can do everything themselves, but don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, ask, ask your, you know what I'm saying, pastor, ask, you know what I'm saying, uh, another man, your uncle, your brother, a sister, uh, auntie, you know what I'm saying, whatever the case, a neighborhood hero, you know, it's like, it takes a village, and I think about me growing up, I probably, you know, my mother, my family, teachers, whatever, they probably, you know, told me a lot of good stuff when I was growing up, but I was part of this, and I didn't really want to hear that, but I heard it from the old head, um, I heard it from the old head, it, I know it don't make no sense, but if I heard it from the old head, I, I listened more, you know what I'm saying? Which was the weirdest, like, a random dude on the street would tell me, like, look, keep your head in the book, play sports, you know, you don't need to be out here. That kind of made more sense to me than anything else. Um, so really, it does just take the village, and you just got to put your pride aside, and you, you really got to be willing to ask people for help. Um, for your kids, especially if you're a single parent, you know, especially if you're a single parent, because you cannot do it by yourself. Cause you gotta understand why you at work and your kids is at home. Anything could be going on. Mm-hmm. Anything could be going on. They, I'm, I think about my mother worked two jobs. You know what I'm saying? When I was younger, and what, like we already knew, like we was getting out of school, and my mother was not gonna be home. So what were we doing? We was trying to fight. You know, we was outside, and and that's just what it was. I mean, granted, we come from a generation where everybody was outside. So being outside wasn't necessarily thing. It was a bad thing, but. We was outside, you know, so whether we was clean or, you know what I'm saying, we got exposed to a lot of bad stuff when we was outside, too. Mm-hmm. It take those villages. The only thing I really say when I was growing up is, like, you know, everybody knew, like, you know, neighborhoods was a lot closer. So it was like, you know, the neighbor, the neighbor's neighbor knew me, you know, and it's like if your mother had a call, it's like, oh, yeah, he's across the street playing ball or, you know, they doing whatever the case is, but... We don't got that this generation. Everybody, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it takes a village. And I feel like that needs to be the message. It takes a village. It's not the, the school system's job to raise your kids. You know, we got to we gotta separate the two. Um, and, and I think something that's really missing is um, don't be afraid to find your kid a mentor. And it, and it can't necessarily be, you know, who you may want it to be all the time, but find your kid a mentor, somebody that they can look up to uh, aside from you, somebody that they might think is cool, you know? I mean, growing up the neighborhood, drug dealer or nothing, but, like, somebody that they might feel is, is cool, somebody that might, they might look up to, uh, finding a mentor. Like, that's why I joined the organization I joined when I was in school, because we realized mentors aren't, aren't the shiny, you know, shady students that you see all the time, but the mentor is somebody who's, you know, been through something, and, they can teach you from their own, and, and that's what these kids need. Um, but yeah, I mean, don't don't rely on the school system to raise your kids. You know what I'm saying? Like that. Yeah. So, 
Um, um, I think it was Jordan that brought up the point of medicine. So, in your guys' opinion, do you think, like, the medicines that children take, like, I think, like, Ritalin, and I don't know if there's anything else, but I'm sure there are. Do you think that those behavioral um, medicines are helping any, or do you think that they just make a short-term problem a long-term issue? I'm going to speak on that. So, Adderall and um, are overly prescribed in the African-American community. Um, there's a study that shows that, um, that more black kids are prescribed with, I mean, are um, diagnosed with uh, ADHD or ADHD or ADD or all these types of disorders and things like that, uh, which are basically... You see some children who legitimately need those things, um, because they're legitimately, they're just not able to focus like it. They refuse to focus because they're, they're I mean, not even that they refuse to focus, their mind's just racing at something at such a high speed that their attention span doesn't allow them to focus on one thing. So you definitely see situations that it is needed. Um, but as a child, I actually was diagnosed with, um, ADHD, and my mother just wasn't hiding it. Like, she told him that I wasn't ADHD, and I didn't need it, and I just needed to sit my ass down somewhere. And literally, like, the whole, and I never, like, and we joke about this, like, every holiday, like, all my life, my brother come, and, like, we be together, and we joke about it every holiday, like, that whole doctor's office, like, that from the time that she told my mother that she thought I had ADHD, I don't remember anything besides, like, me just hearing my mother kept telling her, like, nah, he don't have that, I know exactly what he needs. And then I was leaving, and then I was getting in the car, and her just letting me have it all the way from the doctor's office to the time that we got home, to the time that we got inside, and to the point where when she had stopped talking to me about it, she started talking to my brother about it. And then started talking to my pop about it when he got home. Lady had me so shook to the point that when I went to school next day and she dropped me off, she told me like this. The teacher even told me like if I breathe wrong, like I was gonna get my ass in. So like that was just enough right there to shake me. So some some children legitimately need it, some children are misdiagnosed with it just as a as often you don't really realize and this is this is, I, I know I'm drifting to another topic. Often, you don't really realize that doctors are really people too, and they often do things for their convenience. Like, mm-hmm. when they come to like uh, pregnancies and like like childbirths, like a lot of doctors, a lot of doctors will do like C-sections because it takes what, like an hour, hour or two compared to a natural childbirth that could possibly take 10 hours of labor, you know what I'm saying, three hours of pushing, so you just sat there and waited for this nigga to have this baby for 13 hours. You might have been there for 13 hours before she even checked in. So I was like, yo, not to the people too, but they do stuff for their convenience. So, you know, really like, they could assume like that their test, they try to call out their ADHD, they try to even have something else, like maybe even a, a, a stronger disorder, but it was easy for them to go ahead and check the box and say, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to get them out of here, we're going to be done with you. So, 
diagnosis happened all the time with the overdiagnosis of it, and that's part of it. And literally, um, there's a study I can't remember who did it. It was on like the Breakfast Club on the diabetes thing. Um, that actually the the medicine in those um in those drugs actually shorten the lifespan of African Americans. What? And I can shorten the lifespan of African Americans and like open them to even more like mental disabilities as they gain over like Alzheimer's and things like that. Dementia thing. So I, I encourage you, like, you I want to, I can't, if I can't, I can't find it like off the top of my head, like on the top of my head, I can't remember what it is, but I'm definitely send the link and you can attach it to the video when you post it or whatever. Okay. But definitely, um, looking at that, because it's definitely a lot of just diagnosis or overdiagnosis of ADHD and ADD in the African American community, especially in my um, adolescence. Mm-hmm. Um, do either one of you, um, Jose or George, have an opinion on the, um, like the whole meds thing or overdiagnosis or anything like that? Hey, what Jordan said, um, that last heard in the text to um, I read on that. I thought, I mean, what I thought was basically that the generic brand drugs are targeted for African Americans and minorities and stuff. Um, and that those drugs are doing more harm than good. And I mean, the country shortening your, your lifespan. And it, I mean, the theory is that it is targeted towards the minority communities because <laughs> our insurances are more likely to go with the generic drugs, you know what I'm saying? Instead of the correctly processed drugs that we're supposed to be taking. I mean, you got to think about it. I mean, you're turning your hands into somebody else's. I mean, you're putting your life in somebody else's hands, you know? Like, am I really trusting this doctor to tell me, it's like, yo, this is what's wrong with you, and you need to take this medicine? How do this doctor not trying to lie to me right now? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been a big fan of medicine ever in my life. When I was in fourth grade, I was diagnosed with asthma. I never had an asthma attack in my life. I never had trouble breathing. I never had no type of respiratory issues in my entire life. They gave me albuterol. Which, you know what I'm saying, you'll take out utero for respiratory issues. I never had had in my entire life. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I think then, granted, yeah, I was young, but then it's like, I lost my faith in medicine and doctors overall because I was telling them about this sharp pain I had in my heart, and they were telling me I had asthma. And, you know what I'm saying, it was like, I remember just looking at my mother's face, and she was just looking at them like, are you dumb? Like, what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, like, and granted, I never took out albedo and I've never had an asthma attack. And I mean, them, you know, such, you know, heart pains went away, you know, after they went away, but I never took albedo I never took my asthma pump. I never had an asthma attack. So I, I kind of correlate that to, like, how are we trusting these, you know, supposed doctors? I'm pretty sure there's some really good doctors out there, but how are we trusting these supposed doctors to? you know, really diagnose us and, and tell me, like, oh, I have ADHD, you need to take out uh, uh, Adderall, or, you know what I'm saying, whatever the case is, like, like, what? You know what I'm saying? I feel like these medicines are, are, are causing more damage than anything, and it really putting our lives out of people's hands. Unfortunately, it really is people that need medicine, and, you know, maybe the medicine is working for some people. I feel like medicine is really just a mask 
you know what I'm saying, it's really just not in the pain of whatever you're going through. Um, but yeah, I mean, to this day, like, I don't believe in medicine. I've been to the hospital before for things, and they prescribe me, like, to them, and they prescribe me, you know what I'm saying, Percocet and certain type of drugs, and I've never taken those, you know, exact reasons, because I know what drugs to do to your, to your mind and your body and just the way your brain works, because I've seen it happen to, you know what I'm saying, close relatives, like, it became a whole different person under these drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I had relatives that, you know what I'm saying, became addicted to like it and became a whole different person. People become more aggressive, more heartless, and it's like, yo, I don't, I don't want nothing to do with that. Like, I mean, Lord forbid, you know what I'm saying, it ever happens to me. I've always said, like, yo, if I was ever diagnosed with some type of cancer, like, I'm going to just write it out. Like, don't put me on no type of none of that. You know what I'm saying? Chemo, none of that. I'm just going to write it out. It's just my time to go. I don't trust, you know what I'm saying? That's just me. I don't trust medicine. Like, after just really thinking about that misdiagnosis, like, yo, I could have had anything wrong with me. I could have had a heart moment, whatever the case was. And they told me I had asthma. I was like, no. So I, I, I really correlate that with any type of uh, diagnosis they give certain children. Um, especially kids in the minority community. It's like, like, come on, dog. I ain't here. I ain't even with it. Yeah, yeah and there's another situation with me where, like, I had a concussion on uh, football. I went to the, my, my regular, like, just physician. They told me I had a sinus infection. What? Yeah, like, they told me that my symptoms were symptoms of my sinus infection, and that's what was causing the headaches in the middle of my head, things like that. And I was like, I just sat here and told y'all, when I felt the pain, how long I felt the pain, and what to me triggered it, and you tell me I got a sinus infection, like, I don't feel sick at all. Like, if you're going to give me, you got to prescribe me medicine to clear my nose up, and I'm breathing just fine. Like, what, like what's the, so, and basically you sound like, it's not to like, clear my nose up, but it'd be a pressure right here in my face, but, well, I got a concussion, like, and these lights are in my eyes, and I don't think, you know, day quill is no stronger as day quill or night quill is going to help me trick me. So, misdiagnosis, like I said, people do, doctors do things so they can be often cheaper and low economic opportunity or low economic um, situations are able to go, afford to go get a second opinion because one, they either don't have time to take off from work to do to do that for their child, or they just don't have the money. It's just not feasible to go find another doctor and get a second opinion, even if your insurance is willing to cover it. It's like, yo, I paid maybe a 30 to $40 copay here, and now you're telling me you want me to go somewhere else and see if my insurance is a college It's a list. Mm. And, um, George, I'm particularly interested in hearing, um, like your take, just because you do work with kids on the daily basis, specifically like the troubled youth. So um, what is your take on um, medicine for behavioral issues? It's a fucked up situation. Um, a lot of psychiatrists have been, have been losing their license because they've been over-prescribing, over-billing, 
incentives from, you know, big pharma companies to push these drugs out, you know, get these drugs prescribed and shit. Um, there's really a shortage of psychiatrists right now because they've been losing their licenses because of that. And they've been getting caught. Um, I've had to take, you know, clients and shit to uh, psychiatrist appointments and they literally see them for 10, 15 minutes, you know, write them up for two, three drugs that they gotta take daily and they might be, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old and their brain is nowhere near finished developing and that on all these psychiatric medicines and chemicals and that's just affecting their body. And, um, you know, it fucks up their liver. Um, it really, it really tears your body up. And the kids honestly hate it. You know, they, um, they don't feel like they cells when they're on it. They refuse to take it most of the time. Um, they feel like they're a zombie when they're on this med. Um, like they, they literally can't control their impulse, uh, even if they want to. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely an um, underlying agenda behind it. That's uh, basically another, another weapon used to attack our community. Well, we are coming up on an hour, and um, I'm trying to keep the sessions, you know, um, a little bit under an hour. Um, but I definitely would love to go deeper, you know, into these conversations a little bit later and on other podcasts. Um, but with that being said, can you all leave us with some last words of advice or, you know, some last thoughts? Sun don't shine in the shade. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I'm gonna say. I just wanna say free What did he say? Okay, one at a time. One at a time. Okay, how about um, Jordan, you go first? Alright, well, yeah. First and foremost, um, female. Um, secondly, um, I feel like we basically talked about a lot of things that have to do with like adolescence and this. So I'm just gonna leave it with this, like you know what I'm saying. If you if you gonna take the time to put a kid in this world, make sure that you are gonna take the time to raise this kid and don't leave that responsibility to nobody else. Um, because at the end of the day. Uh, they are really the reflection of you. And if you put in a half ass job and you're raising these kids, then you're going to get a half ass result. So you're going to get a half ass human being, and you're going to wonder why they can't ever really fully grasp what they need to. Um, so if you're going to bring a kid in the world, make sure you don't take responsibility for it. And if you don't feel like you are capable to do that, either wrap your shit up. Or give your shit up, like not even, and I mean that with the most, like genuine, from the genuine, most genuine thing. Like there are people 
somebody who genuinely repent and not have kids do the ovarian transfer and things like that. Who would love to have kids, who would love to raise their child as their own and give them everything that they know this child needs and deserves and things that you may or may not be in a position to do. Um, so, if you are second guessing having a kid, don't, there's no shame in making sure that your child, you may, because the smartest thing you can do as a parent is understand if you can be a parent or not. So if you feel like somebody else can raise your child or give things to your child that you know that you can't at that moment in time of your life, you're, you're already being a great parent by making the decision not to be a parent. So definitely never have any shame into making the best decisions for you and the child that you decide to make for the world. All right. Mic drop, Jordan. All right. Um... George, can you go next with uh, more uh, than just your quote, please? <laughs> I don't much to say. Um, free stokes. Go vote. Drink water. Oh, my God. That pays you. All right. Okay. And Jose, do you have any parting words? I know we need to talk about criminal justice, if you ain't saying, but I just want to say stop locking up people up to the fucked up situations I put you know what I'm from the jump. And that's where my thing and female comes from. You know what I'm saying? Stop locking people up from trying to survive in the situations I put it from. That's it. All right. Well, um, as Jose just mentioned, we did not get too deep into the criminal justice system just because this topic was so extensive. But um, I'm sure I'll rope them in for another one about the criminal justice system and their opinions, and um, we can go from there. But until then, I would like to thank you all for listening to another episode, and um, I can't wait till you guys come back for another one. All right, and with that, bye-bye. Oh, shoot, I didn't press